0: Welcome to Exploring Digital with Purr, a podcast for entrepreneurs and CEOs who want their businesses to benefit from a digital first approach. Hi and welcome to another episode of Exploring Digital with Purr. I'm joined today by Ben Matthews who is the co-founder of Empower which is a digital marketing agency in London uh, which specializes in uh, working with charities and brands with purpose. Hi Ben, nice to meet
1: you. Hi Nick, thanks for having me on.
0: Pleasure. Uh, Do you want to kick us off by giving everyone a little background on who you are and how you how you came to co-found this business.
1: Sure. So Empower started uh, seven years ago now. Uh, started with my co-founder, who's also my wife. And we started off by freelancing, um, specializing in charities and full purpose brands. And basically, we've grown year on year ever since then. We're now up to a team of 12, hiring three more. So we'll be 15 very soon. And uh, one other thing to note is we've been remote first since the beginning. So typical startup where we're on our kitchen table at first, but um, have kept that going throughout, have never had offices. And that's quite interesting in the context of COVID as well, but we can talk more about that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think you're possibly the first startup or the agency founder we've had on this uh, that's working with their partner. Uh, Do you think that brings any particular challenges to it or is it, is it, other than being able to share the kitchen table for for work and dinner <laughs> afterwards, are there any particular benefits? Do you think it's it, that have made it really special?
1: Yeah, well, I think um, you know the reason we're married is because our values are aligned and the way we think about the world is aligned. So I'd like to think it's that... because you love each other, but there you go. <laughs> there's something that something like there in the short sure as well. Uh, but yeah, no, we um, uh, we're uh, good friends and good partners and good um, uh, yeah colleagues as well, and so it's been quite straightforward actually Uh, a lot of people ask us that but yeah we've managed to make it work I guess downsides are it's harder to um, leave work at work especially actually as a remote agency as well so you know I have my laptop here in in our spare room and my wife and partner I talk about the business all the time so it's a little hard to switch off Um, but that's been helped by having kids as well so um, overall I'd say definitely there's a lot more benefits than uh, negatives when it comes to running an agency with your partner
0: absolutely and what about some of the how did you end up with this vision specifically and then the values you mentioned of, uh, of working with charities and brands with a purpose how did that decision or come about or was that just a, an extension of what you've been doing as, as freelancers
1: yeah i think it's an extension of what we've been doing as freelancers so um, we both started off in technology pr so uh, very much at the height of things like blackberry And when O2 were kind of coming onto the scene and we just felt it it was really good and gave us good grounding and experience in in how to work at an agency and how to run PR campaigns. But we were quickly moving across to things like digital and social as they were taking off more and just our personal values being aligned with helping charities rather than sell products. And so over time as a freelancer, we just moved across more to working on charity clients. So, um jazz my partner started working with the un refugee agency that was one of her first big charitable clients uh i worked with london 2012 the olympics and so was able to work across to a more cultural and arts um side things and eventually we just built up our portfolio with charity clients and for-purpose brands and over time we just got our reputation for it so actually niching down into that area over time um it just kind of snowballed over time. And now we're just known for that and people come to us for that. And it's quite easy to say no to things that don't fit or clients that don't fit within that framework, really.
0: So what, what are the main um, problems you solve, I guess, when you're, when you're working with a, a new charity or a brand with purpose? What are the, the issues that these businesses have had traditionally with digital strategy?
1: I feel it's uh, our typical client is someone who's from a comms background. So they're generally dealing with the media. They know that things like social media, email marketing, paid paid ads, um, search are important to the success of their organization and their comms function. But they often don't understand, obviously, the technicalities behind it. Um, often they don't understand the strategies that are effective. And so, what they need is a partner who can basically translate what they're trying to achieve from a comms perspective into areas that they're not comfortable with or aren't 100% up to speed on. And so we are often seen as an extension to their comms team. And we look after uh, website, email, social, paid for those clients. And so we kind of almost become part of their team. And I think that's really where they find value. And it's actually what we enjoy as well. We enjoy feeling embedded in the team rather than you know like a hands-off agency who's just there to deliver. Do
0: you think it's fair to say that within the charity world, that there are uh, people don't necessarily appreciate a number of the differences that they're going to have to deal with in in that comms role, um, even just down to the fact that there's a whole subset of technology that's specific to, to that world that people who aren't used to it just just won't be experienced in. Absolutely,
1: and we find that charities are attracted
0: to bigger agencies who
1: work on big name brands because they have. Um, a sexy showreel, a flashy website, and have you know the team to come and help them. So they often come with uh, pro bono support or they can severely discount support. But the, the, the challenge we often find charities have is that working with a, a, a typical agency is, who's more used to dealing with commercial clients, they're looking at things that aren't related to the impact that a charity has. So it's not selling widgets and improving uh, yeah, selling products it's the impact that you have as a charity, the social impact. And there's a language around that. There's a way of measuring that and as such as strategies to help achieve that for charities. Uh, technology being one part of them, as you said, but ultimately there's just a different way of thinking, a different way of behaving. And often, yes, you get uh, charities sometimes get a slick advert or a slick campaign, but does it actually help them to achieve the social impact they're looking for? Generally not. And that's why, even though um, budgets are typically smaller, um, when you're working with a charity, the actual impact you can achieve is obviously really good as well. And um, yeah, I think that's some of the common challenges or some of the com- common differences we find. So and as that's as why we're a, happy a, to specialize uh, as yes, a charity like. agency. Yeah.
0: So, so obviously, your boutique scale by comparison to a big team, yet you've got the charity focus. What's what's special or or, or um, different about your process, I guess, that gets uh, the the brand or business to that. Uh, that outcome? What, what, what's what's your process of of just not ending up with a flashy ad at the end but something meaningful? Mm.
1: Well I think we um, work to understand the organisation across across what it's trying to achieve and often because we're embedding ourselves in the client we can come up with unique perspectives that not only help deliver their immediate challenges but point the way to other things to think about other areas of work where digital could help support them. And um, I would say it's fair that some organizations are a little bit behind their commercial equivalents in how they're using technology or digital channels to uh, communicate about what they do. But, um, you know, there's lots more charities as well who are are more ahead and I think uh, doing interesting things. So, yeah, just basically being a guide for them in the digital world and helping them understand where they are now and where they could look to be as as a kind of trusted partner has got us where we are now and i think as uh, shown in our track record and the length of time that our clients stay with us our retention record is really high and that's because we, we, we come across as a trusted partner rather than a an agency just yeah aiming to deliver that flashy campaign
0: it's interesting you mentioned that you know some businesses are, are more behind others when it comes to communicating purpose um a number of the the chats we've had recently with other digital marketing or or PR type agencies have been very focused on purpose. Purpose is a big topic at the moment. And it does feel as though businesses are far more aware or self-aware in that that regard now than they were a few years ago, specifically because of things like B Corp certification and um, increasing environmental focus. And the pandemic definitely had an impact on that as well. So do you think that there's actually more push from uh, brands who weren't previously purpose-led, let's say, but, but are suddenly now considering what well, actually this needs to to change our, uh, our, our comms overall. So are you seeing more businesses suddenly interested in your services because of this overall trend? Um,
1: yes, definitely. I mean, we've had an increase in our um, revenue over the last year, which is probably a reflection of the interest in what we can offer, and also businesses being interested in more purpose in their work. Um, but that's overall a good thing. Like if the whole of the business sector, for example, is focusing more on purpose, it doesn't matter if it's coming to us or not. It's great that more businesses are thinking that way. It's being led by several things. It's consumer demand uh, wanting more purpose led products. And you see things like vegetarian, veganism products taking off, um, you know, business models with inbuilt uh, sustainability, for example, taking off as well. And so it's being driven by consumer demand, and that can only be a good thing. The other side of things is government policy as well. If, for example, we do a lot of work in the sustainability sector, a lot more pressure is being put on businesses to be more sustainable, both in the products they create and services they deliver, but also in their supply chains. And also for big companies, it's even become a requirement of their reporting uh, that they have to report on their sustainability measures. It's it's not just a consumer-driven thing. It's also becoming a business mandate in order to, to build these this kind of thinking into the work they do. Um, so, so I think, um,
0: the moment yeah. it becomes sort of compliance-led is the moment where all the all the uh, the interesting purpose bit gets cut, killed from it. Normally, but, uh, yeah,
1: but it's it's a good thing though. It's a good thing though. If we can be a more healthier, responsible uh, way of doing business, then that should be applauded. Um, but hopefully people aren't seeing this as a money-making opportunity as well.
0: Absolutely. No, it's, it's, it's a, a boon and, and, a, and a benefit, hopefully to society. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how wholeheartedly people adopt it and, uh, mm. and whether it's just a, a trend uh, that that is, is, um, is part of a wider shift, I guess. Um, you mentioned earlier, or we, we touched on how, In the charity world technology is 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 its own beast there are specific suppliers there are different conventions there's different uh a collection of different audiences that people don't think of in the same way you know charities are one of the few people in the world who have this kind of oh legacies for example it's a whole different market that most brands never even have to consider um the idea of you're actually targeting someone in relation to their death you know there there are so many um intricacies to that market does that dictate your approach to choosing or recommending a technology approach whether it's a charity or just a brand with purpose how far do you go into sort of identifying the needs that are specific to, to their audiences for that campaign
1: well i think um most charities have similar um not not just setups but um the way they interact with audiences so as you pointed out legacies is one area there there's also cash givers, so people who are giving off one-off donations. There's regular givers, so people who are giving monthly over time. And then you have things like high-value donors, which are uh, people with, who can give you know multiple thousands, if not tens of thousands of pounds to charities and write them a cheque to go and spend that. So there are uh, common ways of charities thinking about the audiences. Uh, I think the challenge that a lot of charities are facing is that, again, you pointed out legacies that tends to be older people who have a certain way of giving to charities. So they might get a bit of um, literature through the post and write a check on the, on the way back. And I know some charities, that's their biggest source of income. They'll send, literally send out um, a brochure saying the work they're doing, asking for support. They'll include uh, literally a prepaid envelope with almost like step-by-step instructions about what to write and how, how big to donate and that goes back and that's there that fills their bank accounts and that's that's good. And the challenge is that's going that's gonna go as a way of giving or a source of revenue for charities as those people start to pass away. And so the challenge is how do you get young people into the uh, mindset of giving to charities regularly now there's lots of innovation happening around areas like influencers. So, working with influencers and how to uh, help work with them as ambassadors for charities. Um, That includes things like gaming. So, you have things like 24 hour gamethons where someone's live streaming on Twitch and they're giving to, or they're encouraging their uh, watchers, their fans to give to charity whilst they're playing, and lots of everything in between. And I think the need to step away from legacy giving as a kind of guaranteed source of income is, and also with COVID as well, the kind of reduction in face-to-face fundraising. So you couldn't have chuggers out on the street for a whole year. Um, charity, muggers, or uh, what, what they called face-to-face fundraising, I guess you'd call it. Chuggers, uh, I think. Because of, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also kind of reduction in uh, challenge events, which is what you'd call things like the London Marathon. Like London Marathon didn't happen. That's a massive source of income for many, many charities. So there's a lot of in- innovation being driven around how to make up for that shortfall and digital is naturally the way people go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We've been involved in a a couple of um, campaigns this year with one of our products, Social Pops, which has been used by charities to kind of drive engagement with either regular givers or um, around sort of specific funds that people have been donating to. Um, Because I think charities have found it not necessarily harder to reach out to people in a way, it's easier if they're at home, but that trying to maintain maintain the relationship and, and ensure that people are kind of aware of the work you're doing is, is just as much of a challenge as ever. Um, and yeah, what, what can you do when you can't physically see people on the streets? So, um, it's been, it's been interesting being exposed to that. Well, I mean, on the flip side, we also, uh, are partial owners of a, a donation platform running on, um, event challenges in the States and that, you know, obviously ground to a halt over the last year and we're picking that up again now. So, um, I guess across the charity world, you know, we're we're seeing that people have really had some challenges over the last year, and, and everyone's got to to rethink their position. It's not just about technology; it's about how how you fundraise, I guess, and and that then dictates a lot of the, the strategies that have to be put in place.
1: And your your point there um, is is picking up on relationships with people, and I think that's been one good thing about COVID is that the more human side of of business and uh, everyday life, I think, has come through. You know, people have been working at home with kids or working at home uh, in their in their flats, and so haven't been able to go out. I think also people have been at risk of um, burnout or mental health challenges, and I think there's been a massive recognition of that compared to where we were before the pandemic hit. And again, I'm hoping that continues. I'm hoping that we focus on the human side of things. Remember that people are people. Remembering that people can't be on Zoom calls from beginning to end every day remembering that people need to actually switch their laptop off and have personal lives and personal uh, issues as well. So I'm hoping that more human side of, of business is carried on as things return to uh, such a cliche, but the new normal as it were.
0: So are you, are you seeing any change in the way people used to sort of not say no to things, but the limitations in which um, a charity or brand would say, no, that's sorry, that's not right for us. That doesn't work for this audience. And people, starting to think of it more creatively or reevaluate approaches? I think you have to,
1: because if many charities are saying similar things and reaching the same audiences, and if brands are coming and start to say the same thing, um, like climate change, for example, lots of people are saying similar things, I think it gets harder to stand out and um, kind of show why you should be the cause that people are supporting over someone, other charity, who's doing something very similar. There are many, many great causes out there, and yes, the ones that are more creative or more thinking about that are naturally the ones that are going to not be winners, but deliver the most impact. Is the way I think about it. I think um, you also have to think about the the size of charities. Um, So you know, big the big top ten in the UK will have more resources in order to withstand something like this, uh, but also have more resource and capacity for creating creative uh coming up with excellent creative that stands out because that's that takes time and money to do well um but i think there are lots of organizations that are you know maybe following more of a startup mentality or trying different things out of necessity and showing good results so um i think uh yeah well, we've seen some interesting things over the last year and i think we'll continue to see some more as we as we come out of covid
0: I mean, evidently, it's been a, a big shift over the past year, and but fortunately, one that's that's shown uh, increased revenues for you. Other than uh, upping headcount and bringing more more people into the team, is there anything you're changing about the way you you run campaigns or you, you work with clients in order to support that that increased demand, but also potentially different ways of working?
1: Yeah, we we've generally brought in more capacity because we found that our team was working too much during the last year. Uh, we actually found the biggest risk to us was burnout for our our employees. Um, With COVID and lockdowns, there were times when people couldn't do anything else apart from just being around their houses, weren't allowed to go outside. So naturally, people were working longer. They were sat in front of their laptops for longer, stretching into the evening and potentially into weekends as well. So we we were definitely encouraging people to switch off, try different things and, and make sure they're not working late at night. We uh, emphasized to our clients as well about when we were available or not. And I I think because that's another thing to pick up on is that a lot of clients who have been used to going to an office and working weren't used to working remotely. And so their boundaries kind of blurred as their work and home merged into one. So I feel like we were working extra hard as well to deal with the increased demand from clients who weren't used to remote working. And so um that's been a big challenge as well. Um so yeah, basically it's increased capacity, it's make sure we're communicating clearly with clients about our preferred way of working and uh, making sure that our team are taking appropriate breaks, take appropriate time off, taking their holidays. We've heard a lot of organizations who are having to force their team to take holidays because people just haven't been taking them. Mm. Um so I think Again, emphasizing the more human side of things, you know, we're not robots. We can't just carry on work uh, indefinitely. We need time off. We need something different. We need breaks. And actually, we'll come back more refreshed and more effective as a result.
0: Definitely. And then, uh, was there anything about, other than just the the way your team is working, is there anything that's specific about, are you uh, revisiting your discovery process with clients in order to kind of identify new opportunities?
1: Yeah, so we um, have been successful at offering audits at the beginning of our relationship with a client. So often no matter what um, aspect of, or, or the main service that we brought in on, whether that's video or social or paid, we'll generally say to them we recommend doing at least a light-touch audit across different parts of their business and their organisation, both to understand how they operate internally but also to ad- ad- identify other opportunities Now, it's always about how can we make the most of the work we're doing with the client. Um, But also, we often don't actually implement a lot of it. So we often are capturing ideas and recommendations for digital opportunities for clients. And then at least the client then knows where they stand, what they could be doing. And often we find as well, digital is so integrated now across the organization and to different activities that they undertake that for us to perform our job well, We often need the other parts of the organisation to be up to speed as well. And so if we can help do that by giving an audit at the beginning, that helps us in our work and also the client understand where they need to be. Otherwise, the risk is we come up with a beautiful social media campaign with paid media elements. We send all this fantastic audience and traffic through to their website. but If their website can't cope with the demand or isn't optimised to convert those people into donors or uh, petition signatories or whatever they're trying to do, then often it doesn't... It means our results aren't as good as they could be. And so it affects the way our work comes across. Um, so we're taking the time to help clients make sure that all of their digital activity at least has the foundations in place and identify future opportunities for them to improve. Brilliant. OK.
0: Um, so what do you tend, what are you seeing at the moment tend to be those those opportunities? Is there a trend in terms of people haven't traditionally, I don't know, optimized their website in that with that mindset you know charity websites used to be very sort of informational and suddenly uh there's far more pressure on them to be generating leads or generating signatories as you said is, it, is yeah, that they, one of the bigger opportunities or are there, are there others too
1: yeah i think um what some charities do is because of the because of covid and the, the need to go to more digital fundraising they've uh improved their donation page in their donation form and then started looking at things like Facebook ads and running campaigns and expecting people to go straight from seeing a Facebook ad for the first time through to the donation page and then giving. It doesn't quite work like that. You can't just go from north to 60 and expect people to give to you. So I think people are starting to learn that in order to do that, they need to build up campaigns that aren't just about conversion and getting people to donate has to be around relationship building. As you touched on earlier has to be about, um, brand recognition, being made aware of who you are and the work you do. So there's a whole uh, kind of suite of content that needs to be created in order to start engaging with audiences so that when the time comes to make a donation ask, they are ready, they know who you are, they know what the need is and are much more ready to support you. Um, The other side of it is that charities who are a bit more advanced and have that in place are looking at other ways of generating income for example, subscription boxes have become really popular. A few charities uh, launch subscription services. Uh, I, I think they've done quite well, which is why other charities have latched onto the idea and set up their own subscription services. These are things like um, boxes that come through the post on a monthly basis with activity packs, whether that's to do with mental health or children's activities or, you know, whatever kind of related aspect to your, to your cause. <clears throat> Um, one other thing that's happened is obviously, as I touched on earlier, with challenge events like the London Marathon, uh, because that couldn't happen, there's been a move to more virtual events where people have been fundraising for charities through challenges that they do in their own time. So rather than raising a £1,000 through running the ma- run- London Marathon, you raise a £1,000 through running the London Marathon, but across two months in your own back garden. Uh, a bit like the Major Tom kind of thing where people aren't coming together to do activities they're doing activities or fundraising in their own time but coming together online to talk about it and support each other so it's been quite interesting in kind of rise of virtual fundraising and virtual challenges
0: really cool okay so adopting those you know uh, new practices implementing these new opportunities that's going to be part of your your strategy for, for clients for the year other than increasing headcount to deliver that have you got any particular business goals that you're, you're trying to achieve over the, over the next 12 month period is there something that makes 2021 a really successful year for you guys
1: yeah we um um because we're a team of uh 12 so you've gone up to 15 one thing we're kind of introducing is um i guess more of more capacity per head at the moment we've all we've been operating at quite high um Uh, bidding rate basically so our capacity to actually have room for taking time out or when new projects come in is quite limited and so we're just trying to add capacity really and so the idea is not to carry on as we are and have everyone be near capacity at all times it's to try and get closer to something like 80% bidding capacity to give people 20% time to uh, either have flex in what they do in order to do training in order to do more personal development And again, we feel that we're going to get better results if people are not feeling like they're working at 100% all the time. It's also um, because we um, have got a lot of clients in the climate change sector. Um, There are a lot of events that happen at the same time. So for example, just yesterday, there was a big uh, summit in the US and something like six or seven of our clients were involved in that summit and had their own launches and own, own announcements happening. That means that our agency suddenly becomes very, very busy in one area and everything gets drawn into that. And often people are working across multiple accounts because they're climate change specialists. So they are drawn into quite a few projects and have to deliver it all at once. If their capacity is very high anyway, it's going to be very hard for them or very stressful to deliver all at once. And so, again, bringing in more capacity and more space for our team means that yeah, more breathing room for when the activity really happens. Also, our, our client um, on one of those accounts actually uh, did point out that all the big events of the year happen between September and November this year. And she comes from a commercial background, so I was wondering what is the what is the climate change sector doing? Just putting all these events in these three months of the year. And so uh, we had this receipt for using around in a row now. We now know that September to December is some of our busiest time. Um, I'm guessing e-commerce and commercial clients know that because it's the run up to Christmas. Um, but yeah, this is uh, something that we just need to bear in mind as well as we get towards September. It's going to
0: be very, very busy. Yeah. Sorry, one second. Sorry, Minnie, not now. Okay, hang on, I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> Sorry, being hassled by the gardener. Uh, all right. So, what would be your top tip for charities or brands with purpose for this year? Is there one thing you think everyone can take advantage of and, and improve their business? I think, um, yes, thinking about the uh, relationship
1: that you're building with people and not expecting a financial return straight away from that. I think we need to focus on building relationships over time. And that means not always asking, asking, asking. It's what's the value you can give back to your supporters or potential supporters, which means over time, they'll gradually be more inclined to support you in financial ways. So I think definitely emphasise the relationship, emphasise the kind of human thinking behind that rather than just expecting people just to be data on a spreadsheet or numbers on your bottom line. It needs to be much more longer term thinking and longer term relationship building with people. I mean, that's how we've built our business. We've built our business with long term client relationships that are mainly retainers and improve over time. So actually we start from a, a re, started from a relatively small client base, um, brought in some high value ones. We've now been working with those people for five or six years. Our team members have been with us for four or five, six years. That means that we can better predict our revenue, better predict our headcount, the capacity and resource that are needed and ultimately build a much more sustainable and um, I guess slowly growing, but still growing uh, organization.
0: Brilliant. Well, best of luck for 2021 and uh, really excited to see how you guys do.
1: Excellent. Thanks, Nick. And you guys too. Thank you. All the best.
0: Thanks for joining another episode of Exploring Digital with Per. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining. Remember to subscribe and follow us and to share today's insights with other businesses you know who want to stay relevant in a digital-first world.